We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 103, Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Thanks again for tuning in. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe to the show. You can also find us on social media. We're on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, or at HiltonD13 for me, and on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group, you're going to hear some of their questions for our edition of La Ronda today. It's tbpod.link backslash group. We do deeper dives, discussions, and you can also help us out on Patreon to continue making these shows at tbpod.link backslash Patreon. Well, the two key words in that intro right there that are really important to today's show, I'm Dan Hilton, you know that. I'm joined by my co-host for the day, somebody else you know pretty well. It's Diana Christine, and Diana Christine on Twitter. As you mentioned, Twitter a really important part of this. That's where you might know her from, and she's also a friend of the show if you're a regular listener, but don't somehow have social media. The other important part of this is our Patreon. This show was made possible by our Patreons, particularly our new Patreon, Purvi Muva, and it's a special... A little special episode compared to our regular format. Due to our newest patron, this is show one of two this week. With this show exclusively, a thank you to you, the listeners, in a La Ronda format. So I figured that I'd, of course, bring Deanna back on the show to help me out with a special edition of La Ronda. And again, our regular with our La Grande Pagunta and our La Ronda later in the week will be with a special guest on Thursday. But for now, I want to welcome Deanna back to the program again. You're a series and show regular, and I'm excited to do La Ronda. Let's, let's get into it if you want to. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to be back. Well, Deanna, you got a lot of questions today, and in the last 24 hours as I put out the call to all the listeners, both on our closed Facebook group as well as on Twitter, just for, again, extended questions. And the question you're going to get a lot, and I think we should just curve this at the beginning, is obviously people know you're a fan of FC Barcelona, but you're also a supporter of Liverpool in the Premier League, and we got a ton of questions from either Henry or Rick, as well as Adil, and Lassie adds one as well, just about the Liverpool-Barcelona thing and... You even told me before the show that you were seeing these questions on Twitter that you don't like to pick sides, and if the two ever face one another, you don't want to have to worry about that. But the big question that should actually be asked is, whose group do you think is more difficult moving into this? And I just want to remind our listeners that Barcelona's group this year is Barcelona, PSV, Tottenham, and Inter Milan. Meanwhile, Liverpool will be facing off against Napoli, PSG, and Red Star Belgrade. So, Diana, again, not thinking about whether or not Barcelona and Liverpool will face each other, but which of the two you think have the easier group going forward? I think that 
in theory, it should be Barca's group because they're the big favorites and uh, all the other teams. I mean, Inter is just getting back into the Champions League after a while in which they didn't qualify. PSV is coming from the Dutch League and they haven't had as much uh, success lately. And uh, Spurs will be a mighty opponent, but I still think that Barca are the favorites going into that. On the other side, though, you have Liverpool who is facing against a strong PSG side and the Napoli. And, I mean, Napoli probably isn't as good as they were on Versailles last year, but they're still a pretty good team. So I think that uh, from where I stand, uh, Liverpool's trip is more difficult than Barca's right now. Yeah, see, that's interesting because the way I look at it, I think it really does come down to, as you mentioned, the Inter Milan aspect of it where, yeah, I think with Liverpool facing PSG is, I'd say, better than Tottenham or very close. And then I think Napoli is a little better than Inter Milan. But then thinking, looking at PSV, I think PSV is way better than Red Star. But here we are splitting hairs on it. I, I think that the Dutch champions from last year in PSV, we saw them play Man United tough. But Red Star Belgrade, historically, and this is the way, kind of way the Champions League works, that his, those historic teams, even like a, a, a Celtic who have had a hard time even reaching it, the Scottish champions who haven't even reached the group stage in a few seasons, but when they have, of course, they're a tough team that bunkers in. And so those underdog teams like a Red Star Belgrade, you'd think that Liverpool would put eight by them, and maybe they do. And in the same respect, you would have thought of the same of PSG in recent years, but yet PSG, they always do crash out of the group stage. That's by 2-1 margins and things like that. So, as I said, I think neither group is particularly simple. And for both teams, Liverpool and Barcelona, the tough thing is going to be the fact that they're not only competing in the Liga, but both have seen what they can do in the Champions League. And so Jurgen Klopp, of course, being runners-up, you want to make another charge at the title. And for Barcelona, as Messi has said, this is a year to really focus on it. Yeah, and I mean, the really tough part for me is going to be the fact that they're both going to be playing at the same time. <laughs> so that's going to be <laughs> yeah. difficult because I'm going to need two screens and to be very focused on it. So, but yeah, moving away from that, it's going to be a really interesting season for both of them, I think, because uh, mostly Barca is still the favorite in the league because basically we've won it seven times out of the last ten seasons, so if that doesn't make you a favorite for the league, I don't know what does. <laughs> so, yeah. And for Liverpool, I think that this could be a season in which they really challenge for the title in the Premier League, and I really haven't said that in a while, but I think that they have a strong spine, and that they could take that next step that they've haven't been able to in uh, some recent seasons so it's going to be interesting to see how both uh, clubs balance it out between Europe and their local competition and of course it's going to be nerve-wracking but uh, yeah hopefully it works out for both of them and they both win their groups and uh, you know stay on top in their leagues too. Yeah, and I guess we've got one more Champions League question here from Adil, and everyone knows him, Barca19 Stats. He was just on the show um, last week. As someone who watches the Premier League closely, I mean, that was the accusation. Now, you and I both uh, have even said, we were talking about off-air, that, again, for me, the Champions, I mean, Premier League starts pretty early in the morning here. 
um, for, for my work schedule, so I have a hard time watching it, but I have caught a little bit of Spurs, and you and I both talked how we saw the Man United together, but he asked, how do you think Valverde should approach the two classes versus Spurs, especially the away game that comes in round two of the UCL group? And my initial thought to that is that we know Tottenham is going to put a lot of guys in the midfield. They don't want to lose that battle and get completely outclassed by Barcelona. And it's, I think it could be an interesting tactic, as, as Adil was saying, on the road where Barcelona might look to try to get down with speed. But in the same respect, every time that we think that Valverde is going to choose a lineup that's going to look to go for the afterburners, whether, of course, I think Dembele is going to start anyway, but is that a game where you, if Malcolm is brought in and assimilated at that point, is that a game where maybe you try to think in starting uh, both of them with Messi and Suarez and just go really attack focus and just leave Rakitic and Busquets back to, to figure things out and Coutinho would be a bench option? That could be something you do on the road at, at Wembley, or is it and that seems like something that Valverde has done, go very defensive against those top teams on the road in the Champions League. But again, with a little more focus of it this year, do you think that's a kind of game where Valverde will approach it as the game that you need, not even need to win, but if you do win against Tottenham on the road, it looks like the group could basically be decided there at Wembley. Um, so I'm wondering if you think Valverde, who's always been conservative, will is this going to be a different decision-making process in the Champions League this year for him? I would love to say that I think that he's going to take more risks and try to be a bit more daring, but I I don't think that's what he does. I think that he will choose the conservative option. And, I mean, he will obviously try to win, but I really can't see him going to Spurs and playing just the... Busi and uh, Ivan in midfield and saying, you know, we're just going to attack them. Because, I, I mean, first of all, I don't think that would work very well because I always think that Barca need to have more balance and have a bit more in midfield than the opposing team in order to really play well. So I think that having a good midfield is also important in providing a basis for Messi for having him staying high up, higher up the pitch and not having to come down to get the ball. So if our midfield doesn't uh, match or even surpass Spurs' midfield, then Messi could be forced to come down lower and that's usually not a good thing. Of course, I don't know, we could try to, you know, like sit back and counter, but I really don't want to see that and I don't think that anyone does want to see that out of Barca fans. I think that the question should be, I mean for me it's always the question should be posed in a different way. I mean we should prepare for the other team but mostly it's about how Spurs play against us. You know because I think that we're basically the favorites going into, I don't know, like every game we play. So I think uh, I my standpoint is always that the other team should prepare for us more than we prepare for them. So I think that we should just try to go to Wembley and play our usual style and our usual game and see how they adapt to that. And maybe if then we need to make some adjustments or whatever, then we will see. But mostly, I think that our idea of play and our style should be the same regardless of who we play. 
Yeah, that's very true. Um, and as and as we said, Valverde has the way that he plays, and so I wouldn't be too surprised by this. Though, uh, Deanna, on a lighter note, I guess not a lighter note, though, I, I think I had a nightmare a few days ago of an image of Deli Ali and Arturo Vidal getting into it and only one red card being produced. But I think I woke up before the red card was produced and I saw who, who was uh, carted off <laughs> for whatever nasty <laughs> challenge is going to happen. That's gonna be interesting. I mean, it's it's also gonna be interesting to see what happens immediately after the break because out of uh, all the players we had, most of them didn't really go away on international duty. So, I mean, I don't know. I haven't done the math on this. I, I guess that a lot of them did, but uh, like. Uh, Piquet retired from the national team, Messi is taking a break from the national team. Uh, there are other players that, you know, like didn't go. So I think that that could be a good thing for us, having uh, having players with a bit more rest and maybe they did kind of a mini preseason during this break. So I think that it's going to be interesting to see how Valverde handles this immediately after, given the fact that we start with Anoeta and then the Champions League begins. So we're going to have like, I don't know, I think it's like seven games in 20-something days. So it's going to be really intense until the next international break, which is in October. So yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, the international break, the next one in October, as you mentioned, is, is really going to be the one to worry about. I think I know that we talk about the FIFA virus, but as I said, I didn't punch the numbers either. But just looking at it across the surface and Alba not being there is a big part of that mathematical equation as well. So with Messi, Pique and Alba having not been there and, you know, Ter Stegen splitting time, Sergio Roberto getting back in the Luis Enrique squad. The question from Douglas is, do you think Valverde will rotate for the Real Sociedad match uh, coming up this weekend? And I think part of the answer to that is that it shouldn't be expected. And the only place it would be expected would be at that defensive midfield position, whether it's Rakitic or Busquets. Um, but against Real Sociedad on the road, that's a game where, and we I remember back to last season, when things really got opened up. And that's the whole thing about Real Sociedad on the road when you play it on the Ada, that uh, no, Aniora, is that you have to kind of wait until that first punch in the game has happened, and then when the game's over to open up after a first goal, but until that, I think things are going to be bunkered in, and you're going to have to to wait for something to give. So that said, for me, I, I think Real Sociedad, that's a game that I think Vidal will start on the road, and while Roberto was on international break, I don't think it matters too much, because again, this is one of those where they have friendlies, and they did have that Nations League game against England, did Spain, but I would expect Nelson Semedo to start in that contest against Real Sociedad, and then other than that, I wouldn't expect too many other changes. I, I think that's not a game that Langlet gets his first start in the Liga. I think Umtiti and PK is still the combination, because even though Umtiti he played that tough, tough, tough game against the Netherlands, Umtiti is still a guy that we know is very durable, and he did have a late summer but he did have some rest during the preseason. So I don't think any of these guys, Alba again is going to be the obvious, obviously the instant starter. Luis Suarez, I wonder when he's going to get his break, um, but it certainly probably won't be against Real Sociedad. So looking ahead down the calendar, there aren't many chances to rest some of your stars, but hopefully for the sake of Barcelona, Luis Suarez doesn't play as much in this second international game because I think that's the only spot where I'd really be worried about rotation. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because... Suarez did play for the national team, 
And I mean, they're, they're friendlies for the South American teams right now, so it's not like it's a huge effort or something, but still, he had to travel all the way across the Atlantic and uh, play, so that takes a lot out of you, regardless of what type of game it is. And um, it's going to be interesting to see if Munir starts after having, you know, like two weeks where he's the only striker in training. And uh, I don't know, maybe even Malcolm plays. Arturo Vidal again has traveled with Chile to like Japan and South Korea, so that's a long travel too. I don't know, I think that the first lineup that Valverde produces after this break is going to be really interesting. I hope that he rotates more, and I was really, uh, I don't know, I think it, it was a good thing that Suarez realized that he maybe should play less this season, so maybe he won't get upset if he gets benched, so, but I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago, and I was saying that even he, if he does get upset about being benched, I can't imagine many things that, that would be better than uh, Luis Suarez with a point to prove. Well, we mentioned Alba uh, in, that, in that talk about rotation, and it seems like the report from the last 24 hours, this question coming from Rick, suggests that Valverde wants an experienced backup for Alba in the left-back position, and do you think that's an area we should be looking at to improve in the January transfer window? Because while Miranda has made the bench, again, he, other than in the Supercopa, we're not really seeing him even get a sniff of the first team, and we wonder if he's really going to factor in and whether or not January will just have to be, I don't know. I, I, I'm thinking in this situation you bring in a, lo- a guy who's, again, very experienced, a guy who's a lot older, and one of the examples I think of is the, the tour de force that we've seen, you know, whether it was Bakari Sanga or... Patrice Evra, those guys that, you know, at the end of their career, those last few years, they basically would hop from contender to contender as they were finishing out the rest of their career. And I think other than a guy like, not like those two, but a guy of that age, of that ilk, as an an experienced guy already in his 30s who's just going to come in as a backup, I don't think they should go for a guy anywhere in his 20s to bring in because that's really going to stunt the progress of Miranda because with Alba there and now with not with maybe not in Luis Enrique's Spain picture, there's not many games available for a backup. And even though he's only 18, is Miranda, even in that game against Sabadell, for Barca B's first win of the season, he was the one who had the cross. The own goal leads to the one goal of the game for the one nothing win. It seems like Miranda is able to do everything. And I, you really haven't seen any bad, bad weaknesses other than just getting caught out in ways that an 18-year-old would get caught out. And so that just comes with rounding out your game with more game time. And he'll get that with Barca B now for a while. But I think that in a pinch, he's good enough. The issue is that if Alba were to somehow get a knock and be out for multiple weeks, what does Barcelona do? And again, the answer to me is it have to, it have to be an experienced guy. I wouldn't go after anybody else that is going to cost even more than 10 million euro and be a long-term uh, role player at the club. I don't know. I mean, I, I agree with that. And I think that if the club did, has decided that the, the plan is for Miranda to be the backup and eventually be the replacement for Jordi Alba, I think that that is a good idea. And that should be what happens in most of the positions that are, you know, like not, I don't know, that 
important. I mean, left back isn't something that you know you die without the great left back. So, so I think that it could work as a good plan. But in the situation you were talking, like uh, if Jordi Alba gets injured for a few weeks, I think that the solution is right there in our squad, and he's called Sergio Roberto. I mean, he can do it if he can play right back. He can play left back too. Yeah, that's true. I mean, so can Linglet and Umtiti in the past. And Umtiti actually came up and got his first few minutes with Lyon. And not just minutes, but for basically his first season and a half with Lyon, when he was still a teenager and in his early 20s, he was making a lot of appearances at left back. And while Umtiti, we think of him, yes, he's a center back. Now he's fully come into his body. I think him and Linglet in this situation are easily comparable. And I want people to continue to remember that Langlet was one of the best defenders in all of the Liga for a team in the top seven last year in Sevilla. Then Langlet, any way that you can get him on the field, it makes your team, at least defensively, even stronger than it was. And so I don't want to forget about him as well. And with his next question coming from Henry, uh, another thing that unfortunately we can't forget because it's constantly in the news cycle what does Diana think of this match between Barcelona and Girona happening in Miami? And with Javier Tabas, you'd think that they would want to try to quiet and not make the whole news cycle about, you know, the Catalan independence movement and what it means to move this, the, the Catalan derby of Barca and Girona to the United States, what that means for everybody involved and what that means for, you know, the outward cries and the, the, the political conversation that happens just when this derby occurs. So, unfortunately, I thought that they would try to not curb that talk, but uh, you'd think that that would try to be pushed under the rug by the powers that be, whether it be Tabas or, or not, but yet Tabas comes out with comments about this, and it seems like they want to have this kind of dialogue, and I, I, we're gotten to a point where it seems like this is what this game is going to be about, instead of even coming all the way to the States and breaking up all the, the rhythm and the travel and all those things. It seems like it's going to be about the, the politics. Of course it's going to be about the politics because I think that the politics is how this game got chosen to be played in the United States in the first place. I mean, when you think about it as a Catalan derby, you have to understand the fact that Girona is a massively more pro-independence place than Barcelona. I mean, Barcelona is the capital of Catalonia and as a capital it has a lot more people with more diverse viewpoints. But Girona is a pro-independent city. I mean, it's that is the whole thing, and that is why I think that this was the game that got chosen to be played in the United States, because somehow uh, they imagined that uh, if they took it out of that city, the, they would take uh, a possible moment of... Uh, independence uh, propaganda away from them but they only managed to move that conversation to Miami and to have the whole attention of the world press on it when it, if it happened in you know in its usual place it would have probably only been the talk of Spain and the regular fans so I think that this was a really bad move but I'm not surprised by the fact that Tebas, who is a known right-winger and a staunch opponent of the Catalan independence movement, has decided to do this and then came out talking about how 
the fans that will go to the game will not uh, be permitted to show any uh, political uh, displays, but at the same time, they will be given Spanish and USA flags, and they will uh, have to listen to the Spanish and the USA anthems. So, how is this not political? I mean, it's all just so nonsensical. And it's just, you're making this a whole big thing when it could have been, you know, like a regular game. I mean, I don't think that any game should be taking, taken out of the stadium where it should be played in the first place and moved across the whole freaking ocean. And I, I don't believe that this will be a major market, marketing boom, mostly because you have, in the US, you have the league being shown on a channel that isn't on every television network. I mean, it's on a network that isn't in every package. So the audience for La Liga should be the main thing that concerns them, not one game. I mean, you're going to watch one game in Miami and suddenly decide that you want to watch this for the rest of your life. Sure, there may be like 15 people who decide that. But first, the most important thing from a marketing point of view should be assuring the fact that you get access to the television stations of a lot more people than you do right now in the United States. And I don't think that this game will change anything about that. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I, I think there is a relationship, and we've seen where Barcelona were, this is years ago, obviously, before the David Beckham's Miami team was, it's obviously going to become the MLS team in Miami. But before that, it seemed like there was going to be a connection between uh, Barcelona and a Miami team in MLS in the same almost in con uh, connection or collaborating way that you see Arsenal and the Colorado Rapids. So, so not much of anything, just some kind of connection between the two clubs, whether it be shared sponsorships or, 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 or a piece of ownership or whatever it may have you. But when that never really worked out, again, Barcelona is still looking for their ways to get into the States. And it was, was mentioned a few weeks ago on the show as well that Espanol, you, it can't be forgotten, they had their entire preseason in the Richmond area. They were trying to create roots, and that's what the league is doing. They don't want to fall behind, even though they don't have the money of the Premier League, they don't want to fall behind the marketing that is coming from the Premier League and its association, as you talked about, with NBC or the Bundesliga, which is doing a, doing a good job on, on the Fox sports networks and, and their body of Fox. And as you mentioned, with BN Sports being the provider for Barcelona in the U.S., that is going to continue to be the story to watch of all this, even more important than this game. As you said, I, I think it's just creating more consternation for everyone involved to fly them across to Miami and this agreement is not something that's going to go away. It's for a long time coming. Uh, so uh, this story has just begun, and it's not anywhere close to being finished with. And uh, so I think it's we'll move on from there. And we got questions, plenty of questions from, from James. And so, James, we're going to go with your first question. I, I think it's the one that seems to be creating the most buzz. It's the most click-worthy right now. And that match against France, it was one of the only international break matches I could actually find time to watch. It was obviously we saw France taking on a Netherlands side, which is, if anything, rebuilding. They've got a lot of young players now having not made the World Cup. And not that they're moving on from the era of, of, of Schneider or Robin, but it is time for new blood. And one of those players is somebody who we talked about plenty on the pod before, and that is Frankie de Young. 
and De Jong was very, very good against France. And while the overhyped Twitter machine, as Diana that we know well, De, De Jong seems to be the second coming of Corif, he seems to be the second coming of Xavi and Iniesta, and he's this miraculous player if you just watch these gifts and hear from certain people on the internet. But, you know, I, I tend to having just watched that and a little bit more of Ajax that I can. And we have had Noel and Navid, two guys who are very well accustomed to these to, to De Jong and the other guy being delict for the Netherlands and Ajax, both those two as a pair. So to answer James' questions, he says, is it Pogba? So France's Paul Pogba, World Cup winning Paul Pogba, Man United, or Frankie de Jong as being a replacement not only for Busquets, but which guy would you pick to bring into the squad? And, you know, I, I don't want to take your answer, Diana, but I, I agree with what Naveed, and credit to him, what he said on Twitter was that with de Jong now being with the Netherlands, being with the Dutch squad, and I, I'm divided on this, that while you can watch Ajax, you don't really equate that to a proper level. So even if a, even if scouts from Man City are watching or PSG are watching every Ajax game, De Jong is playing either in midfield this year or previously in, at the center back position, has been dealing with injuries. So you don't know if you're really seeing the complete player and what he can do against high-quality opponents. But when De Jong goes out and does what he did against France, that is really putting him on the radar, and that is a proving ground that just puts up his price even more so than what Barcelona were evaluating him at before. So as Naveed said, you know, Delict and De Jong, if Barcelona are going to go for those players, it's probably going to have to be in January. It's going to have to be for a little bit of an inflated price, but somehow that might be less than what they would pay over the summer, next summer, should we say. And for me, I think De Jong is a player that fits the way that not only the Kules want Barcelona to play, but I think he's a guy that Barcelona is still missing, not in the Busquets way, but... I see him combining well with Arthur, with Coutinho, and being able to set up deeper, and being able to pass forward, break lines, and he's pretty good in the tackle as well. So for me, I think, not that De Jong is a better player, I don't think it's an argument. Paul Pogba is a much, much, much better player, but for the next few years, the way that Barcelona need to play, instead of even bringing in attackers, the way that Messi receives the ball, the way that you have the wingers in Dembele and Malcolm for the foreseeable future, the way Coutinho works on that left interior, I think De Jong is the best fit with the team that Barcelona currently have. So I would actually go with De Jong simply on fit. Yeah, I tend to agree on that, uh, mostly because I, while I like Pogba, I don't think that uh, you know it would work out very well for him here. And... Uh, I think that uh, bringing in a player like uh, De Jong, who is uh, still young and uh, seems to fit the, you know, the mold of what we generally associate with the Barca midfielder better, would be uh, a better fit right now. And uh, I think that uh, even from a price consideration or whatever, it's a better investment even if you have to pay, pay more for him than you would have done, I don't know, last summer. But we have to remember the fact that last summer we went and made offers and stuff. And even if those offers were, you know, like below uh, what Ajax would have wanted, they still said that, uh, I mean, Overmars said that uh, the players need to play at least like 40 games for Ajax before they even consider letting them go. And I think that this is fair because you have to look at it from their point of view too. I mean, they 
raise these kids up uh, in their academy and then they play like, I don't know, 12 games or something and they just get swept up by another club. And uh, I think it's important for the players themselves to uh, get experience and get playing time uh, in the Champions League on international level uh, while not being constantly in the spotlight of a huge club like Barca. So I think that he is a player that we should go for. I hope that our you know historic association or whatever you want to call it with Ajax, our, our relationship with them and the fact that as far as I know, he is a Barca fan, will count for some of the negotiations if it comes down to him choosing between our offer and another offer. I would still hope that when all else is equal, he would choose Barca. Yeah, and I think those are decisions that those young players have to make. In the, in the case of De Jong, I think he would get a little bit of playing time if he came uh, next season to Barcelona. But De Ligt, on the other hand, being a center back, and I, I mentioned about Lenglet not getting yet a sniff of Barcelona, that Umtiti came in at a time when Barcelona were in need of that, where Mascherano, who had filled in for Puyol before him, Mascherano was, you know, getting to the age where it was time for a new guy to step in, and Umtiti wound up working with that timeline. And that's an important thing to note, that De Ligt, unfortunately, I do again believe he's a generational talent, and a guy that would fit Barcelona perfectly. It just, it seems like a perfect fit, and he would be a guy that Barcelona could go after, but yet, timeline-wise, because, they, again, Lenglet was just brought in, Umtiti is the age he is at 24, and then you have Pique, who's not yet done with, he's maybe on the downslope of that peak, but he's not yet even done with his peak. So where does De Ligt fit in there? And I think just the timing of his career might not work out, and he might be one that costs, unfortunately, 130 million, 140 million euro now down the road, down the line in, in, in three, four, or five years. But again, that might give you a time when you have to pry him from the likes of Man City or PSG or one of these other powerhouses that it can afford him now. And the last question we'll, we'll get to, and this is a position we haven't talked about too much with, and these are questions from Spencer, Lassie, and Serge, and it's about Luis Suarez. It's in the long term, who would you want to replace Lucito or Luis Suarez? And Spencer, adding to that, why are we linked with so many wingers? Are we thinking of adding another winger, or do we see a winger as our future center forward? I think the answer to that is that moving forward, and this comes in, into connection with obviously the international break, so every agent who has a player like a Chuckley Lozano, who is Mexico's most marketable star at the moment, so the international break always creates rumors and buzz and, and things that don't really exist. So while Lozano was quote-unquote linked to Barcelona recently, I think the reason this is happening is that Luis Suarez's immediate replacement in the next three to five years is Messi. Messi moving to the false nine and basically just operating in the middle of the field and then having wingers who can cut inside around him. I think that Barcelona, while a number nine might be the traditional option, the thing you think of, I don't think that's the way that Barcelona's going to move in the transfer window in the next few times. I think it's Messi is actually the answer to the question. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know if he is the answer. I mean, he could be the answer. We know that he has played as a false nine before and done so superbly. And uh, I don't know. I 
not sure if he even sees himself going back to that false nine position. I mean, in his recent interview last week, he said he talked about how it's more comfortable for him to get the ball on the wing because there's more space and less defenders and it's less crowded. So maybe he doesn't really want to go back into that position. I'm not sure if the plan is to get more wingers or it's just, you know, like random transfer speculation. I do think that replacing Suarez will be one of the things that we have to deal with in the near future. I'm not sure who we can buy to replace him. I I don't know. I have hope for... I mean, I don't think that Munir could be that guy. I think that he could be like a decent backup or something. But down the line, maybe I have hope for Abel Ruiz turning into that kind of first-team player, of starter for the first team. I don't know. Other than that, I, I really don't know any names that just spring out to me as a striker that we could buy and replace Suarez with right now. Yeah, I do think of, again, I want to bring up that point about the timeline that, you know, Munir is the backup. That's what he is. That's the quality he has to be a bar. And that's not a bad thing to be a quality of a Barcelona backup. But looking forward to who replaces a guy like Luis Suarez, the guys that are of the age of a Timo Werner for Leipzig. And again, he's had his detractors. He's had a less better you know, part of 2018 than he did even 2017. Yeah, and then Maxi Gomez with Celta de Vigo, who his... Obviously, the Uruguayan striker comparisons is, is what creates the narrative. But if you actually watch him with Celta de Vigo, he does a lot of the things at a, at a, at a much uh, more minute level that Luis Suarez does. But he does a lot of those things. He's bulky. He has some power, but he also is pretty quick. So for me, is Maxi Gomez a potential number nine at the likes of Barcelona? I don't know the answer to that question. But when you throw those kind of names out and Werner and Gomez even being different players... I think those are, again, guys who could feature as borderline starters, maybe not exactly starters, but they definitely could get a a starting role and they have a little bit more to work through to get there. And then, as you mentioned, the hope, obviously, is that Abu Ruiz in, you'd have to say at the age of still 18, that three to four years from now, he could be the guy. But again, he's now three, four years still away from really being a point where he could be trusted to be not only a starter, but take on a, a big, big role in the first team. Strikers have to go through, just like defenders, a lot of development. They're not just like wingers who go one-on-one and sprint down the sideline. There's a lot of minutia. There's a lot of things to learn. And particularly if you're a number nine, a lot of body work that has to be done, a lot of growth that has to happen, a lot of muscle strength that has to be gained. Those things are really important with the number nine. So if Suarez is replaced, I think the number nine is already out there. And it's really telling to me that... Not only has Barca not been really linked heavily with any true number nines, but it is very telling that you don't hear anything even slip, no rumors, no nothing. It tells me that long-term Barcelona has, you know, if they're going to replace Luis Suarez, it's going to be a, a little bit in the distant, in a few seasons at least, and maybe not just bringing somebody in for next summer even. Yeah, I don't know. I think that next summer could be a good moment to replace him or at least buy someone that could replace him or share his minutes on a more equal basis than Munir, for example. But I really don't know because, as I said, I 
don't see anyone who is comparable right now at that level. So I really, it's really interesting to me to see what will happen with this position. Yeah. Well, the position the show's in at the moment, I know it's a little corny, but that it's at its end. And Deanna, again, I want to thank you and all of the listeners, again, for having this second show, or I know it's show one of two of the week, but having our bonus show, if you will, on this Monday. Again, this all happens because of our patron, particularly our, our new one. And plenty of thanks to not only our listeners, those who ask questions, but those who continue to help us make more shows in the Patreon. And Deanna, of course, to you. Thanks so much for being here as well. Always a pleasure. Happy to be back. And thanks for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And Forza Barca. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.